For I was born, and for this I came into the world, that I should give testimony to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. John's Gospel, chapter 18. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Pope John Paul II, several times, had predicted a great springtime of the church. We can ask, where? Pope John XXIII predicted a great springtime for the church. Again, we can ask, where? When I grew up, Pope Pius XII had predicted a great springtime for the church. But they were all repeating what St. John Bosco had predicted. At one point, there will be a great springtime for the church. Now, a certain depression has taken hold of Catholics in the last 50 years or so. The clerical scandals of the past few years, plus the overwhelming incompetency of so many bishops to deal with the problem and other problems, and even recognize there was a problem. The collapse of our higher educational Catholic school system, the evaporation of so many religious orders of women, these things seem to verify what Pope Paul VI said, that the smoke of Satan was in the church, and that the church was undergoing a Good Friday. We worry about the church we love. We hear the media criticize her, and we are confused. No disciple is greater than his master. Thus the church must endure the passion of her Christ and bear the jewels of his sacred wounds in order to be triumphant. And she will be. How do we know? Because she always has. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her, promised Christ. In the 14th year now of the third millennium, let us stand in the night praying, hoping, pleading for the break of dawn, for the new springtime. We must travel backwards in time, across the present and across yesterday, to the start of the second millennium. Those years were just as depressing as our own, or more so. The years prior to the year 1000 were, according to one writer, one of the most lamentable periods, perhaps the most tragic, recorded in the annals of ecclesiastical history. The problems today facing the church are basically three at that time. At that time, the problems were threefold. First, ecclesiastical discipline was in disarray. Priests, bishops, did as they wished without fear of accountability. 
Secondly, there was a general collapse in the sexual morality of priests and bishops. They plotted celibacy by attempting marriage and having families. Thirdly, simony reigned. Simony is a sacrilege of selling and buying religious offices. These were the Dark Ages, the time of the barbarian invasions. The most ferocious of these invaders were the Hungarian nation. In 895, the whole nation, one million people, poured into Central Europe. And for the next 60 years, their cavalry tread over everyone and everything that stood in their way. This was an age of unlimited violence, especially against women. Wars were waged at the point of simple disagreement. Prisoners were tortured. Robbery and looting were, was, were commonplace. No one was safe. You couldn't walk the streets, you couldn't be in home. No place was safe. At a time when the courage and tranquil wisdom of the church was needed, she herself was disabled. Preaching had ceased. Sacraments were neglected. Theology was at its lowest point in centuries. Education was almost non-existent. Liturgy was poorly celebrated, and art and architecture were in decline. An historian said, a few more years, and what trace would there be anywhere left of Catholic life and the teaching of Christ? The priests of the tenth century, of the first of the tenth century, were for the most part decadent and absent. But the bishops were no better. They weren't. They didn't reside in the diocese. They were someplace else, maybe the Riviera. Indeed, the the bishops were so bad, the Pope Formosus actually gave consideration to excommunicating the entire English hierarchy. At one meeting of local bishops, a pious monk came in, uninvited, and looking at the bishops assembled there, he looked around and he said, Excellencies, Satan sends you his greetings. There were a few reform-minded bishops, one of them, Cardinal Humbert, said to his brother bishops, words that ring to today. We, the hounds of God, so far from barking fiercely and biting the robbers, go about yapping and wagging our tails 
blind flatterers that we are. And thus we encourage every act of robbery. During these days of darkness and scandal, there were forces of reform at work, forces which grew more formidable and more numerous as the second millennium, the year 1000, approached. The lay faithful, weary from moral, the moral laxity of their priests and the neglect of their duties, became enraged when the bishops refused to do anything about it. Across Europe, riots, riots broke out in cathedrals, and the palaces of bishops were attacked and vandalized, sacked and pillaged. These people were made up of mostly merchants and farmers. And they were called pateria by the bishops. An insult. Those low-level people. They kept burning and rioting. And finally, finally made their way to Rome. And so they, this Rome decided to do something. And so to quell it, they appointed a chaplain to the Pateria, a holy monk, Peter Damien, who became one of them, and then became a cardinal. And now he's a saint, St. Peter Damien, a great reformer of the church. There were also some great reforming popes at the time. Pope Sylvester II, the first Frenchman to be pope. Nicholas II, Leo IX and St. Gregory VII, Hildebrand. Leo IX only reigned for five years. But during these five years, he traveled across Europe, convoking synods in various countries, ordering priests to be celibate, writing new laws, and deposing bishops. Imagine, the cry went out from diocese to diocese, from chancery to chancery, Leo is coming, Leo is coming. No more business as usual. A French historian wrote, the night of the 10th century is an innumerable fact. But we should not forget the dawn that followed, a dawn unconsciously awaited and made possible by the men of this unhappy time. What would the year 1000 bring? It would begin to usher in the greatest period of time the Church has ever known, the High Middle Ages, the time of Christendom, the birth of the university, the creation of the great cathedrals, the great evangelization of Europe, the age of chivalry where women were respected, the age of Thomas Aquinas, St. Francis of Assisi, Bonaventure, Innocent III. It's rightly called by historians the age of faith. But this age of faith 
the great civilization of the Middle Ages was achieved by the countless persons, lay and cleric, who prayed and worked tirelessly and suffered much to reform, to purify the church, and to restore her to her ancient practices. The church, beaten and scourged by scandal and betrayed by her own leaders, rose like the phoenix from her own ashes. More beautiful, more splendid, more strong, more fruitful than ever before. As I have said several times before, the church always buries her undertakers. Looking back on this sorry, sordid time, the historian Daniel Ropes comments, During two centuries of increasing night, there then appeared innumerable indications, however small, of a splendid dawn to come. New hordes of barbarians might overcome Christian lands. The children of light might compromise with the sons of darkness. And even the very successors of St. Peter might prove themselves unequal to the crisis. But the soul of the church continues to declare itself so youthful, so vigorously, that she ultimately triumphed. The Catholic Church continues to triumph despite her obituaries in the Washington Post or the New York Times because the Church is more than her members. She's more than her leaders and bishops or popes. She is the very body of Christ. Remember Christ said to Saul on his way to Damascus, to harass and arrest and persecute members of the church. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Beaten, betrayed, scourged, lacerated, soiled, muddied, she remains now and forever the beloved and beautiful bride of Christ, for whom he gave his life. Ever crucified, she rises again, again, and again because her Lord and Savior has risen, nevermore to die. There were no fingerprints left upon the waters when Jesus walked on Lake Genazareth. The unrecorded words, his finger penciled, in dust upon the road, are gone like breath. Yet when the charts and books are all discarded, and dreadful in the dawn the horn is heard, above the ended roads, the cancelled phrases, Behold the endless way. The deathless word.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.